0: We're talking about peace today. Uh, I gotta admit, when somebody says they want to talk about peace, my eyes glaze over, Uh, because when I hear people talk about peace, it's like, yeah, I just want peace on earth in my own apartment or something like that. You know, it's always as if it's so out there that's why, you know, I have to say it, uh, but it's not very functional. And we're doing this series about living a virtuous life, which is all about living a functional life. Uh, not just because we're rolling up our sleeves and trying harder, but because God calls us into a virtuous life. The life He calls us into is a life that He, like He did in creation, He breathes it into us. He, he brings it into us as He comes into our life. And so virtue isn't something that we signal, I'm so awesome, or sneer at, I'm better than you. Virtue is simply the transformation that happens in us. And so it's a functional, practical uh, result of being in a relationship with the living God. But I have to ask the question, peace, you know, what is it? Um, Some thoughts come to my mind. Maybe this will prompt your thinking. You know, peace is a matter of values. Uh, If you had the choice between world peace or a billion dollars, what color Bentley would you buy, is what I'm asking. Um, It's a matter of values. Uh, It's a decision. Uh, Somebody said the path to inner peace begins with just three words, not my problem. You think that's true? Does that resonate with you? I have lots of peace that just don't deal with anything. It's not my problem. Uh, Peace is more than avoidance. Recently, a guy walked into one of our life groups. He looked so bummed out. One of the guys in the group said, hey, you okay? Is everything all right? He goes, well, you know, my wife and I had this big fight, and she said she's not going to talk to me for a month. And one of the guys said, well, man, um, maybe that's a good thing, you know, a little peace, a little quiet. And the guy goes, yeah, but today's the last day. And so um, <laughs> peace, peace, is, peace is definitely more than avoidance. Uh, peace is about solutions. Uh, you know, our kids are grown up and gone, and we're both busy, so Janet and I take turns cooking. It's not like on a schedule. We just do it as, as, as needed. And so I asked Janet if I could have a little piece of quiet while I was cooking. A reasonable enough request. So she took the batteries out of the smoke detector. And so, um, (laughs) peace is always about solutions and lame humor, basically, is what peace is about. Uh, Actually, the first big idea of the morning is this. Peace is rooted in relationship with God. Now, if you've been a believer for a while, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, you might say, duh, tell me something I don't know. But it's easy to forget this because uh, I, I don't have any specific statistics to separate this out from the general population, but I'm not sure that Christians are any less anxious or fearful than the general population. And it's not to say that being a Christian should make you anxiety-free, but I'm saying peace is something that comes out of a relationship with God, and if we're not experiencing peace, uh, what's misaligned in the relationship? What's missing in the relationship? What is available to us that we're not appropriating in the relationship? If, if you have kids or grandkids and you got a call that they're in juvenile hall, they, caught, they were caught for stealing, maybe the first question you'd ask after, what were you thinking about, was why did you feel like you had to steal? I would have bought that for you. I, I would have made it possible for you to earn the money for that. Your mom and dad would have done that. Why? Uh, This is one of the crazy things about our relationship with God. We get out of alignment, so we don't ask our Father for the very things that He promises to give us. And when our life starts to spiral downward, we say, I guess God just doesn't really come through. (laughs) He does if you pay attention to Him. If you ask, if you respond, if you open your heart, your head, your hands to Him, it's amazing how he answers prayers, right? This is the, the embarrassment about being a pastor. And yet, every time a prayer here is answered, I go, No way, that's awesome. You know, I mean, of course we prayed. Why wouldn't that happen? Uh, it's because I know that God does answer prayer in his own way and in his own time. So, just because I say, God, Lord, Jesus, Father, uh, uh, Savior, uh, uh, however I pray out to the Lord and I make a request, Uh, I do expect him to answer it, but I've learned to expect him to answer it in his own way, in his own time. And so that's why when something happens right away, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's fantastic. So peace is rooted in relationship with God. It's a direct byproduct of his presence in us. This is how powerful and good God is. It's a quality of life from God that uh, the world can't give us. Uh, Nor can we give it to ourselves. If I just try harder, I'm going to get more peace. If you just try harder, you can have more peace. Which, of course, for a person who is dealing with deep depression, uh, that's just one more weight on their shoulders. And, of course, the world every day promises to give us peace. Uh, I thought at some point uh, advertisements would go away. How Naive of me. I mean, you can't get away from them. Uh, They're just ubiquitous. They're embedded in everything. One of the big conversations in tech these days uh, is the application of artificial intelligence to tease out more ways to make us vulnerable to ads. Because all those ads uh, promise at some level to provide peace, peace of mind. That you'll look better, feel better, you'll be safer. We all want peace desperately. But it's a quality of life from God that the world can't give us nor can we give ourselves. Now we can do our best to, to be peaceful and that's all good. I'm just saying, unless we go to the source, we're going to be sadly and sorely disappointed that, that peace just always seems to be out of reach. We have the best army in the world. Is the world any safer for it? Yeah, but the world is still a mess. And so it's not to say we shouldn't have a military or you shouldn't you know, have people who protect you from the bad guys. Uh, it's just that uh, you can hire a million more policemen. Or fire them all. It's not going to make the world more peaceful. Uh, As you know, peace is an inside work. It's it's God's work inside of us. Supported by a home, uh, by parents, by grandparents, by aunts and uncles, by coaches, teachers, pastors. By a whole bevy of people who God uses to shape our character. And to help us appropriate peace. But it's a quality of life ultimately that comes from Him. I I love the way Jesus said it in His final meal with His disciples. uh, John 14, John 16 documents this long narrative conversation and teaching that he had with them on his final night on earth. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you, uh, I I do do not give to you as the world gives, as a quid quid pro quo in exchange. You do this, I won't beat you up. You do this, buy my product, I guarantee you'll have peace until you need the renewal, the next version of it, more of it, etc., He says, I've told you these things. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He personalizes it. And we're going to come back to this um, later in the message, just after lunch, uh, because we want to talk about the fact that he's promising this and he also delivers it. So he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. It's a guarantee. You don't need to ever worry about running out. There might be a drought about water. There's no drought um, on the anxiety and the trouble that all of us face. And so he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. These are not empty promises. This is not happy talk from Jesus. Uh, Can you imagine? Literally, uh, 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 the next day, if they were thinking about this conversation, they were scratching their heads saying, that didn't go well. That whole thing about peace didn't seem to work very well because he's gone and it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty picture. So now what? We're in grave danger. We're in big trouble. The authorities are probably looking for us right now and any number of people know how to find us. So can you imagine how their anxiety went up, their sense of no peace elevated r- shortly after this conversation? You have probably felt this in your relationship with Christ. Lord, I know it's supposed to be about you um, but I'm not feeling it. Uh, our, one of our, our daughters were here. Uh, one of them had um, her, her little kids, five weeks old. One is three. The three-year-old was in Sunday school, and uh, he comes out with a little thing he made. You know, Peter walking on the water or something. And so he comes out, and he, of course, what he's looking for, he asks where the coffee is. Now he's three. Obviously, he does not drink coffee, but he knows that where there's coffee, there are treats. And so he comes out and goes, hey, where's the coffee? I'm like, would you like a smoke too? I mean, what, what do you, why do you want coffee? And then, and, and then so I said, so where did you learn at Sunday school? He goes, it's about Jesus. You know, he's looking for the coffee, you know. He's just kind of in a hurry. It's like, oh my gosh, I know. So in our own faith, we get used to, well, it's about Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not feeling it. It's not happening for me. But here's the thing. God transforms our inner experience of life and peace as we trust in him as we lean into him, as we learn to listen to him and obey him, and when we fall short of obeying him, when we learn how to recover, you know, to repent and confess and, and to be cleansed of, of, of our sin and forgiven and, and not reinstated but realigned. Because we're never separated from his love in Christ, but we are misaligned. And this is the heavy burden of people who have, in a sense, walked away from Christ. And, and part of the pain that they feel is that I know he still loves me. I'm just too embarrassed and prideful to turn back. That's why people in a a time of crisis when their life is delaminating, maybe because of their own decisions, bad choices, they don't want to come to church until they get it all sorted out and fixed. If I'm having a bad episode and I'm so depressed I can't get out of bed, why would I tell anybody at church about it? Because I know they'll care about me, but then they'll know that I'm prone to depression or, or something like that, right? This is the crazy thing about how we want what the Lord provides, but we're so afraid or unwilling, undisciplined, and just plain lazy uh, too proud even to to lean into him, to learn to trust him. But his peace, his shalom, that's what the, the original word is, shalom, peace, changes us so that we can affect change around us. It's a work in us in order to do a work through us. It's not just a personal condiment. <laughs> you know? It's not just a personal improvement. It's meant to be transformational in us and transformational through us. And so if we're, in a sense, withholding ourselves from the Lord and not experiencing His peace, we're withholding it from other people that we don't even know how God's going to use us in their life. But if we're walking around anxious, angry, alienated, you can imagine how much we have to off- offer other people. Nothing but more anger, anxiety, and alienation. It'll leak out of us. And so His, his shalom is an expression of His righteousness, His justice, and His love. These are bedrock qualities of God's nature that he wants us to experience in practical, functional ways. This is why peace is a big deal. And shalom is the way life is supposed to be, but of course it's not. It's anything but that. Uh, People can bum you out in any number of ways. Um, I was... I was... uh, you know, we're working on, on editing this this message yesterday and I thought I could get up I've been sitting around too long. I sit in the backyard, so I just walk out in the front yard and um as I walk out I see this lady who, who she has this bag and she's she had, I, I was walking out and I saw a lady looking at her flowers and I saw her duck down. I'm like, whoa, she'd fall down or something says I walk closer, she pops up and she looks really nervous. And she has this big bag, and she says, ha, kind of a weird laugh, and walks by me. I look down, there's all these roses in it. I'm like, yeah, way to go, you know. And, and, but they weren't just roses for armbush, bush, because if anybody says, hey, can I pick some roses? Yeah, sure. But it, she, she was kind of feeling, she was feeling really guilty. But then there was other roses that I could recognize from down the street. And so I'm thinking, this is a weird thing, because she's obviously anxious, and Embarrassed and and know she does it wrong, but she's laughing off like, oh yeah, whatever. And I thought, oh my gosh, uh, I, no no problem for me. I mean, there's a lot of roses there. You can't tell any taken. But I thought, what a crazy way to to deny yourself peace. It's not the way it's supposed to be. The way it's supposed to be is, oh my gosh, could I have some of those lemons? Can I have some of those? Yeah, sure, help yourself. Versus putting yourself and other people in these bizarre situations. It's like when you see a guy. Bump, in, bump into somebody's car and he, he looks around and he sees you and so he starts writing a note to leave on the windshield wiper. You don't know what that note says. Dear car owner, I'm, a guy's watching me so I'm writing this note. Too bad about your car. Good luck, you know. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, a wonderful theologian named, he had a love this name, Cornelius Plantinga. Cornelius Plantinga. Uh, he is one of the smartest dudes on the planet and can spell his own name. That's how good he is at this uh, he wrote a book based on this whole notion. It's called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, A Breviary of Sin. A breviary is an old term uh, for a summary. So a breviary of, of animals would be a medieval book about all the animals that we knew about, a listing of them. So a breviary of sin uh, in, the, in the medieval church, for example, they would say, okay, for this sin you should do this kind of penitence. So his, his book, This Breviary of Sin, is really just a talk about, a reflection on, this is the world that is, that's not supposed to be the way it is. Let's look at the impact of that. So one of the things he does is he gives this wonderful uh, description of shalom. He says, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fully and fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. So as much as I can gently mock, you know, the the person who says, I just want world peace. Or the joke, you know, among uh, husbands and wives, the the husband says, look, I'll take care of all the big things like world peace. You run the entire house, take care of the kids. You know, oh, that's a good deal, you know. Because the idea is it's so far-fetched to think about world peace that let's just let it go. But the fact is, peace is at the core of who God is and his kingdom. Shalom is what we're meant for. That's why we're so bummed out to experience the world as we experience, because we realize, uh, mm, Wow, do I have enough insurance? Not only if my house burns down or gets flooded, but if somebody runs into me and they want to sue me, do I have enough insurance? You know, it's crazy the way this works out. Do I have enough of this? Am I covered here? Am I protected here? Everybody is their own personal hedge firm. Figuring out how to to play off the, the potential downsides to life. We then do this to one another, to our kids. Hey, be careful crossing the street. Get out of that tree. You might get hurt. The common sense is, hey, by the way, while you're doing that, you will get hurt, and, and it's okay if you get hurt. Because that's part of growing up. You're going to get bruises, scabs, you know, maybe break something. I hope it's not too bad, but you know, I expect that's going to happen. I was, in a, I, was, I was in a park a couple weeks ago uh, for a Friday night dinner with all extended family members to introduce them to our youngest grandchild. And in this beautiful park, uh, our daughter Megan reminded me, this is the park uh, in Newport Beach, where I chipped my tooth when I was two. Like, that's a happy memory because <laughs> I'm looking at all these other little kids swarming, all this equipment. Now I want to run and go, hey, whoa, whoa, you know, hey, get off that, you know. Uh, instead, of, I'm just laughing, thinking, well, somebody's going to chip a tooth here. And all the parents nervously laughed, going, yeah, I guess so. Uh, because that's the world we live in. So it's not the world that we want, but it's the world that Jesus came to save. So ultimately, That's a good thing, right? So while we're experiencing the world that's being redeemed by Christ, and one day a new heaven, a new earth will be established. In the meantime, we learn to live in his shalom in ways that are, again, functionally and practically significant. So in Jesus, God calls us to live in his shalom, which is basically authentic love and respect for his creation and the people in it, for ourselves. A new way of valuing ourselves, valuing people, because God does. Paul spoke about this to the Jewish and Gentile Christ followers. Think about this. Within a couple decades after the the church is launched, there's a big uh, conflict between Jewish followers of Jesus, who were all the original followers, and all these Gentiles, non-Jews, who are now becoming followers of Jesus with ideas about what that should look like. Different than some of the, the, the practices that the Jewish followers of Jesus had about what you ate and what you didn't eat. Uh, other things, how you dressed and how you did any number of things that were spiritual. And all of a sudden you have this big gap being established. And Paul says, look, for he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Two groups of believers divided by a wall of hostility. Is that not heartbreaking? And, and if that was the only example of it, we'd go, yeah, but thankfully, we've solved that. Well, we haven't solved that. Uh, have we? And I won't go into all the ways we haven't solved it. You, you know them. They come to mind. Uh, the, the conflict within the body of Christ, uh, between different bodies of Christ. But he himself is our peace. So that's the first big idea. Peace is rooted in a relationship with God. Second idea follows, then. Uh, It's a question. Who doesn't want peace? I mean, who doesn't want peace? Well, people who are afraid of the truth don't want peace. Because peace is inherently disruptive. It comes in and says, hey, there's a gap here. There's a big dividing wall of hostility. Have you noticed it? No. But I hear some muffled voices on the other side of the wall. Yeah, those are the people screaming uh, for your attention. And so, of course... uh, To answer that question, who doesn't want peace? It's a yes, but. If they only got their act together, I'd be happy to have peace. They just changed their mind, changed their ways. Got it together. Played by the same rules that I gave them. I mean, that we all obey. Who doesn't want peace? Sometimes we claim peace because we're afraid to admit our need to fight for it. We think peace should be easy and because it's not, we say, yeah, everything's great here. I grew up in a family like that. Outrageous expressions of anger and violence and and uh, alienation, and hostility, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, uh, what happened? Oh, what happened? What? What do you mean? Well, that truck that just hit me. What? What did it go? Oh, it must be a figment of your imagination, <laughs> you know. But the treadmarks are right across here. Um, the denial that we don't have peace. I mean that we have peace when we don't have peace. Uh, this is an answer to the question who doesn't want peace? Well I don't have to deal with the truth of the situation. It's too murky too complicated it'll just make it worse. Better just to get along. Uh, have you ever met, uh, have you ever talked with a battered woman? And to your, your amazement, uh, you can't believe you're hearing this. She says well had I not set him off he wouldn't hit me. What? Well, had I not, you know, whoa, 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 let's back up. You did not deserve to be hit no matter what you said, how you said it, why you said it. Uh, And you, you can replicate this over and over and over again. The Stockholm Syndrome, you start to identify with your oppressor because it's too painful to acknowledge the truth. I've been defrauded as a human being. That's why so many people won't come forward and talk about being trafficked or being abused, or being taken advantage of, because they don't want to get that person in, in trouble. I want to get out of this situation, but I don't want to get them in trouble, so I'll just live with the situation. Sometimes we claim peace because we're afraid to admit our need to fight for it. Uh, the most famous example of this I'll give you is Neville Chamberlain coming back from the Munich Accords in the late 30s. He's the Prime Minister of England, a generation previously, a man named Benjamin Disraeli, who was a prime minister of England, had gone to Germany, worked some things out, and came back and said, hey, peace for our time. It's going to be okay. And it was okay. <clears throat> but this time, it's not the same. And so Hitler goes, oh, are you kidding me? I have no designs on any country. I'm just trying to get Germany together again. Okay, sounds good to me. And he comes back home, and he says this. My good friends... For the second time in our history, a a British prime minister has returned from Germany bringing peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Go home and get a nice quiet sleep. That's literally his speech. Go home and get a nice quiet sleep. A year later, my mom is a little tiny kid, was sent to the train depot, put on a train, sent to the British countryside in Wales. To, to ride out a year of 100% every night continual bombing. Uh, Keep Calm and Carry On came out of that time. So that's why in our modern era, this, 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 this phrase is hijacked or, or applied or misapplied. Well, we gotta take on Iraq because, you know, we don't wanna have one of those Neville Chamberlain moments. Or we apply it to all kinds of things, rightly or wrongly. But the point is, we know that we really shouldn't turn a blind eye to things that need to be fought for. It required Winston Churchill waking Britain up to go and fight for peace. Peace was eventually won, but at a very high cost. Why? Because peace is always costly. It's always costly, isn't it? If you've been in the military, you know that peace is costly. Uh, I met with this week with a guy, um, he used to go to our church, he was in town, he's a former top gun pilot, top gun trainer pilot, uh, now he's on the staff uh, of, of uh, he's a Marine pilot serving with, in the, with the Navy. He's going to retire, and he's on his way to seminary. Not to atone for his sins as a soldier, but to say, hey, I serve my country. I believe in what I did and why I did it. And, and I want to continue fulfilling my calling, which is to be Christ's person, a, person, a man of peace. Uh, this is the profound nature of peace. It costs us something. You have to be willing to fight for it. Now fight appropriately. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth doesn't work very well. You just get blind and toothless people. But you do want to say, I will not stand for that. If I was walking down the street and somebody challenged me to a fight, I'd say, you'd be really embarrassed beating me up in front of all these people. <laughs> <You> know?" Because <laughs> no, I'm not going to fight. You can call me whatever you want. If I was walking down the street and they grabbed one of my kids or they hit Jen or something, then I would say, gosh, this is not going to go well for me but I cannot, I can't stand here. If I have hearing, I can with words, and I, that, I have to step in and, and, and stop it in any way I can, right? This is the nature of peace. It doesn't justify violence, it says, I need to do something to, to claim peace. And uh, this is something that we do not like in our marriages, we don't like it in our families, we don't like it in our friendship groups, we don't like it in our culture. And so we start to self-edit and block off each other so that we don't have to deal with anything that might disturb the peace. Uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are examples of God waking up his people to seek peace. I don't think we have slides on this, but let me read you these passages out of uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Both of these guys, prophets, speaking to Israel when they were in a place saying, no, everything is fine. We can't honor and worship God the way he wants us to. We'd love to, but it's just impossible in this political economic situation. And so yes, we worship these idols, but that's just a, an expediency. They had this whole rationale uh, going on. And Jeremiah says, uh, God speaking through Jeremiah, my people have committed two sins. One, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and, I, and have dug their own cisterns, you know, natural containers for water. Broken cisterns, they cannot hold water. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. This is what avoidance of the fight for peace does. It makes us deceitful and deceptive. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. It's just a flesh wound. Here's a band-aid. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Now, this is God who invented shalom saying this. He knows what he's talking about. Likewise, Ezekiel says, because the false prophets uh, lead my people astray, saying, peace when there is no peace, and because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash with all their rationalizations, therefore tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. And so we're in a predicament, aren't we? We have to say, what are the values that compel me to speak on behalf of righteousness? Because the byproduct of righteousness and justice and authentic love is what? Peace. You don't get peace by whitewashing things and lying to yourself, making up a story, staying unreconciled when you could be reconciled because you're saying, well, if they only changed, then everything would be fine. You go, well, how about start by confessing your sins? Uh, years ago, I went to this uh, this program, uh, it was a, a lecture series for high school kids. And and um, the speaker said an interesting thing. He said, you know, you might be 99% in the right, but if you have a conflict with somebody, why don't you confess the 1% that you're aware of of your own sin? I thought, that's inconvenient. <laughs> so I, I, I missed about 17. So uh, um, I went home, and my dad was sitting up at this table late one night. Uh, I reading the paper or something. I walked in, I said, hey, uh, I want to talk to you. And I hadn't talked to him in months. He hadn't talked to me in months. And uh, I said, I just want to ask your forgiveness uh, for not being the son I should be. Now, of course, in my head, I knew I was 99.9% right. And probably everybody in my family would say, that's pretty true. You've been rebellious about stuff, but you've been rebellious about stuff you should be rebellious about, and it's not going very well. So he looked at me, and he was dumbfounded. And I'd never seen this happen to my dad before. He just started to cry. And uh, uh, he stood up and gave me a hug. And he said, would you forgive me? I said, well, yeah. So, you know, you start with what you got. Not a lot changed functionally. But I think at that point, I walked out of the room thinking, I think I just grew up. I think this is how I want to live the rest of my life, because you could have said, "Get the hell out of here! I don't want to see you again." Uh, okay, but I, that didn't matter. What mattered was I was going to own whatever I thought I could own. Are you owning what you need to own? Are you giving other people room to own what they need to own? Because if we badger them, "Hey, you know, you owe me an apology," it's going to make it more defensive, right? But if we simply lead with, "Hey, uh, you know, here's here's what I'm bringing." So false peace is a plague on friendships, on families, on churches, on countries. False peace is a trick of the devil and our own capacity to rationalize our sins. I can rationalize mine, and I can rationalize yours. Yours is a lot worse than mine, by the way. That's how good I am at rationalizing them. Uh, false peace is a desperate and deadly form of denial and avoidance. False peace robs us of shalom and undermines our own personal growth and development. You can't grow beyond your, your resistance to the shalom of God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace? This is a big part of Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah, Isaiah chapter Um, 9. This is the Christmas passage, but I'll read it in this context. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, the way things ought to be, will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's an ascending hierarchy there, right? It ends with, hey, and by the way, he's the prince of peace. He is the prince of shalom. The very nature of God. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. We see it now. It's not where it's going to be, but we see where it is. Pretty, pretty impressive. And how does this happen? Isaiah says the zeal. The full-on, unmitigated commitment of the Lord will accomplish this. Which brings us to the final point. If the first one is that peace is rooted in relationship with God, the second being, who doesn't want peace? Well, people who are afraid of the truth. The third is this. Under Jesus' lordship, let's seek his counsel in appropriating his peace. Why? Because he offers it as a gift. You don't have to earn it. He gives it to us. You just, you just have to respond to it by faith. So, Paul writes to the Philippians saying, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Lord, help me deal with this situation. Help me be honest about me. Help me be honest about them. Help me see solutions where all I see right now is problems. Help me to have wisdom versus the opinions I'm holding. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus we'll become more savvy about how to identify peace and actually advance it. He then writes to the Ephesians saying, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Uh, Let me just define, uh, read the definition of malice or, or, or give you my take on it. It's the desire to cause pain or injury or distress to other people. Malice is me figuring out what's going to hurt them. That's what I'm going to do. I'll withdraw. I'll advance. I'll say something. I won't say something. Um, But the desire is to cause some pain, some injury, some distress uh, as an act of revenge or what I think that they're due. It's the exact opposite of shalom. Shalom. It's toxic to the bearer and to the recipient. Why? Well, peace is kind and compassionate. It's, it, it disarms people but doesn't dismember them. It disarms people. That is, it it, it it causes them to want to put their weapon down and say, what? Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me? What? I betrayed you. Yeah, but do you love me? Well, yes. He asked it three times, right? He said, feed my sheep. He gave him a commission. He gave a promotion. He disarmed him, but he didn't dismember him. And therefore, you'll never, you know, no. So the peace of God through Jesus Christ will free us from anxiety. Are you, am I, willing to trust him in the process? It means getting scary close to him and scary close to people. Put down your weapons, pick up your cross. Pick up the basin and the towel. Whose feet do you need to wash? He gives us peace through his word, his Holy Spirit, and wise counsel. There's no lack of resources. If you want it, you can find it. Our circumstances and feelings matter. Don't deny them, but don't defer to them. 30 years of prison causes most murderers to reflect on it and say, I shouldn't have done it. sorry, I did that. Even if they deserved it, in my mind, I I should have done that. Don't deny your feelings, but don't defer to your feelings. We said last week, circumstances and feelings matter. The Lord's presence in them matters more. Self-care and being aware, yes. Being selfish and self-centered, no. Self-centeredness undermines peace at every level. Why? It's why we commit suicide. We're so self-centered, we commit suicide. Our pain is so great, we don't give, a, um, we don't give anything about other people's feelings. Having stood in the devastation after suicide with families, the question is echo, 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 why, 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 why? What could I have done? What didn't I do? And once they figure, once they move through, people move through grief and loss, they're angry. Why? Why did you do this? It's the most selfish act we can do. Compassion, empathy says, I can see your pain and why you'd feel that way. I won't ask for a show of hands, but probably everybody I've ever met has said, Yeah, at one point I thought I'd rather not live. That's that's like low level. Some would say, and I've thought of how I would end it. That's more high level. Self-centeredness undermines peace within us and around us. God wants to get us out of ourselves, not by offering ourselves. He wants to get us out of ourselves so that we can become our true selves in him. Die to you, live in me, Right? Picking up your cross and following him means die to you. That's what baptism is. Baptism is a public display of I'm dying to me. So he can live in me. And so the peace of Christ will rule in you and will be real for you as you learn to abide in him. It's that close. It's that attainable. It's that practical and functional. God is with you and for you. Therefore, you have the resources to sustain you if you want them. If you can get past your pride, your fear, your uncertainty your sense of not being worthy of it, get over it. He's making you worthy by his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his unmitigated love for you. You don't need to hide or deny or blame or numb yourself to big feelings. In Christ, we now stand firmly in his peace by his grace. You're on firm foundation, even if you feel a little odd. If you've been out on a boat for a while and you get on the land, you feel weird. You're on stable land and you're going, whoa, this is a weird feeling. So this is new territory as we start to move into this deeper understanding of what it means to know God and trust Him, to obey Him. We stand firmly in His peace by His grace, but we're not very stable until we get used to what that looks like. The Apostle Paul said it this way as I wrap it up. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into this grace in which we now stand. Paul is talking about all of us living in community, all of us living in community with the God of peace. So in Christ, we have personal peace, and we extend his peace to one another. Uh, to this day, uh, people in Israel say, uh, Shalom Eleichem, Shalom alechem," and the response is "Alechem Shalom. Now, it's interesting, because it's individuals on the street, hey, what's going on? Oh my gosh, Linda, Shalom Alehem." or I might say Shlomech, because it's a woman, Alehem." But the weird thing is, and she'd say "Alechem shalom, uh, sh- uh, sh- uh, shalom, shalom." Yeah, she'd just say "Alechem shalom" to to a man. But the point is that "Alechem" is a plural. Isn't that a weird thing? It's, uh, peace be unto all of you. And I'm talking to Linda, I'm talking to John. And and they respond, and and peace be unto you, all of you. Go so why? It's reminding us that we're in community. We're in community. You're not alone. It's just you and me saying hi to each other. Shalom aleichem. But we're recognizing that, man, we're part of something bigger than us. We're, we're a community. It's how Jesus greeted his disciples following the resurrection. Remember I said at the, at the, before the resurrection, at the end of that meal, right before he went out to face his captors, his betrayers, he said, my peace is with you. My peace is in you. After the resurrection, when they are huddled in that room, afraid to be found out, and Jesus comes through, the, the just walks into the room, what's the first thing he says? He literally said, shalom aleichem. It's translated, peace be unto you. In that case, he was talking to the whole group, and, and they were dumbfounded, right? He calls us into his shalom community. Our peace in Christ is deep, not superficial. He makes Jesus' one another statements functionally possible. You know what I'm talking about, the one another statements. You know, annoy one another, mistreat one another, take one another for granted, bite and devour one another, rip each other off, ignore one another. No, no, I'm sorry, wrong list. That's the devil's one another statements. Jesus said things like, love one another as I have loved you. And And there's about 30 of these. Love one another, bear one another's burdens, confess your sins to one another, care for one another. Respect, love, and forgive one another, etc. So let me say this as, as we go to prayer. Let's never confuse standing in Christ with stepping on people. You're standing in Christ not so you can step on people, but so you can walk with people. Our peace doesn't come at the expense of someone else's. I had to do it because I needed peace. It doesn't, doesn't wash. If you disrupt someone's faux peace by telling them the truth, that's on them. But at some point, if what you said is authentic, they're going to come back and say, you know what? God really confirmed that. Thank you. The Prince of Peace calls us to walk together in his peace. Are you willing to take that walk? Of course you are. You wouldn't be here worshiping him if you weren't. So let's take that walk with him together. Shalom elohim, elohim Shalom. Lord Jesus, this is our prayer. We pray this uh, with a sense of humility, sometimes humiliation because we've got it so wrong so often. And Yet, Lord, we recognize that you hold our heads up high. You remove our shame, our disgrace. You replace it with a deep sense of your abiding presence and love and confidence and boldness in a sense that we're new people because we are. We're new creations in Christ. We're people who are filled with your peace. So may, Lord, we learn to live like that one day at a time in your power, both now and forevermore. And in your name we pray, amen. We'll wrap up our time of worship uh, with an offering. And again, uh, I'm saying to you that however you give money or time, or, you know, time, talent, treasure to the church to, to advance the mission is, is fantastic. Please keep doing that. We need you to do that. Uh, whatever you can give by way of time, talent, treasure, please, uh, we need that. Right now, though, in worship, the offering is about you opening your heart, your mind, your hands to God. And if, if, you, if you want to drop off an offering afterwards, you can put it in the, the box there on the wall. But really, don't leave without listening to this music, singing along if you want. But finding whatever posture is, is more, most comfortable for you to say, Lord, here I am. Make these words true in me from your word. Uh, lift me out of this place where I feel stuck or plateaued or resentful or resistant. Meet me in that place where I really do want these things that you offer and promise. Let's let's offer ourselves to the Lord. This is a true and authentic offering.